Morning, everyone. How's it going? That's it? That's all I got? Come on, guys. It's 11 a.m. We just got to go see Werner at the uh, the keynote. He's always got a lot of great uh, great stuff to share. Um, I'm probably a lot less interesting. Um, he's got a lot of history, and, and I you know really respect the heck out of him. I'm going to talk about images. He talked about so much more, but let's let's try to have some fun with this, okay? Um, you know whether you're here to watch me crash and burn with a live demo or two, or you, you want to kind of understand this. I guess one of the first questions I have for you guys before we even jump in is. How many of you guys have uh, an image strategy today? You understand kind of what you're building and why. You've decided if you're going to pre-bake, you're going to not. You're rolling updates, golden images. Do you guys have a strong understanding of that as far as how you run it? Cool. All right. So you guys have a, a decent understanding of the, the concepts to start, which is great because this is a 300 level uh, you know, talk and not the, the 1 or 200 level. Perfect. So uh, this is ARC 319. I'm Patrick McClory. I'm Senior Vice President for Platform Engineering and Delivery Services. It's a really big, fancy title to say that I'm in charge of engineering and professional services consulting at Datapipe. I basically handle all the hard stuff that uh, you know, doesn't go through our normal workflow that is more, uh, you know, whether it's more business or more technically focused on application engineering. Uh, that's my world. So uh, I come by way of acquisition. I was CTO of DualSpark, a company that Datapipe acquired uh, about 15 months ago, and prior to that, uh, in a number of other roles uh, very closely related to the cloud. So uh, I'm excited to, to be here to share with you guys some of the, let's call it mistakes I've made, lessons we've learned, uh, in terms of how we structure and how we manage images. Um, I'm also really excited because Datapipe is launching their first uh, you know, ground-up open source project. So all of the code we're going to talk about, all of the process, everything you're going to see, it's already on GitHub, so don't get your phones out and look at it now. Let me show you, and you can kind of go check it out later. Um, but all this is, is available, and we're going to continue to iterate it. It's actually uh, a good part of the toolkit that we use internally. Uh, so it's, it's well-worn. We have a lot of, uh, I'd say, you know, battle testing under, the, under our belts on this one. And um, you know, we're basically just going to kind of walk our way through this. So to kind of start big picture, we'll talk a little bit about um, you know how this works, images, what the what the uh, big picture looks like, and then kind of deep dive into some of those learnings and the patterns that we're applying to our image dev uh, process. And we're in a bit of a unique situation. As an MSP, I have many many customers with many many opinions. So you guys who raise your hands, who have a strategy, who know what you're talking about, I can almost guarantee you that none of you agree precisely on how you want to do this. And that's cool. Um, at the end of the day, we're trying to enable our, our customers, we're trying to enable our operations teams to do the right thing and to do it in the easiest way possible. So what you'll see here is a lot of, you could call it a lot of convenience script, a lot of convenience process, but actually what we're trying to do is reinforce good practice uh, from an engineering and development perspective when we go and write our images for whatever purpose we have, whether it's just a base image with updates, all the way to a fully mutable application deployed uh, inside of an image itself. Uh, I will also say this. Um, I'm a little strange uh, in terms of how I present this kind of stuff. If you guys have questions as we go, please don't hesitate to put your hand up, yell at me, tell me you got a question, you have a thought. Um, we don't have anyone running a microphone around, so I'll just kind of repeat it back so everyone can hear it. But would love to keep this as interactive as possible. Um, this is a lot of, we'll call it a lot of complexity and a lot of, uh, you know, different ways to apply this uh, overall. So you know, there's going to be a lot of different ways that you guys even see this from your perspective. So we want to make sure that we uh, address kind of the reason why you're here uh, versus having just me talk out uh, and we've got content, we'll look at code. But we want to make sure we address your questions uh, as we go as well. Fair? All right. 
So um, I come from an engineering background, uh, an application architect by trade. I started, you know, writing software very young, and um, I'm a little weird because I look at this from a design perspective and go, I don't really care about the tools. There's a ton of great tooling out there to do a lot of what we're going to talk about. A lot of what I want to spend time on here is talking about the strategy and the pattern and implementing the tool to it. So how many of you guys use Chef, Puppet, or Ansible? And I can raise three hands for that one. Um, there's nearly no reason without kind of your history with it or your background with it that you would choose one over the other for the most part. About 80, 90% similar. They achieve a lot of the same things. And they're all good tools. You know, we can kind of adhere to one or the other for a variety of reasons. But, you know, how you make that decision isn't really something I get to worry about because you guys are going to come to me and tell me you want to use Ansible or you want, you want to use Chef or you want to use Puppet. So I have to figure out how to make that work. And then you're going to tell me you want to bake a certain amount in or a certain amount not in. You want to use uh, images that are fairly uh, you know, vanilla. You want to use images that are fairly immutable. And I have to figure out how to build that flexibility into our process because at the end of the day, we have a couple hundred operations engineers managing our images and our workflow. And they need a way to make it consistent. So I have to figure out how to make their lives consistent so that when customers, if you guys are one of ours, or you could be in the future, or not, you know, if you come to us, we need to be efficient. And the way that we do that is through this tool, at least in this respect. So, you know, kind of going over this, um, you know, at large, I'll be really honest, you know, there's so many different ways to solve this problem that we've had to really dig into kind of the big picture. And there's, there's two ends of the spectrum, essentially. We're going we're gonna to simplify this, if you'll, you'll permit me. Um, on the one side, you've got a lot of kind of legacy traditional workflow that looks at building images and building updates into them, but pretty basic images and not many of them. And they're going to be long-standing, uh, kind of long-running instances once they launch. So think about like Exchange and SharePoint and that intranet server that you have that never goes away. That kind of thing is, is where you're going to build an image and let it run and never think about it again. We maintain a, a set of these volumes or set of these images because we want to make it easy to get the latest version, the latest update. But it's basically one flavor or a couple of flavors, you know, one per OS or a few different configurations. But there aren't many of them. You guys have any of that? Like I know most back office falls into this, this workflow. Most, most of that stuff is pretty common. On the other side, we call it DevOps. You call it high-velocity deployment. If you're familiar with Gartner's terminology, they call this mode two deployment. When the speed of deployment is what matters for you, and again, most large organizations have both of these, but you know, I'd venture to guess that you guys have seen this too, where the, the quicker I can get it out into the production environment, the faster I can launch it, the better. And it's to my advantage to you know, bake as much in to make it as consistent and as fast to deploy as possible. Both of those problems are my problems. I can't choose, I can't pick. So my solution isn't to decide one's right or wrong. My solution is to find an engineering approach to allow both of those to happen. And then we're just gonna give it away. No need to keep it in our, our back pocket here. So you know, here, we're, we're kind of trying to find ways to balance out a fairly straightforward set of, of concerns. You, you have this concept around a really flat base vanilla AMI or a fully baked, fully immutable image and, and essentially two sets of, of variables that you got to think about. The more base image you have, the closer you are to that side of the spectrum, the longer it's going to take to deploy. If you're going to do things like use user data scripts to deploy your software on top of vanilla image, 
that takes time. And maybe you don't care how long it takes to go from hitting the launch button to when it's operational. Maybe you do. But if you do, now you're talking about how complex your engineering effort is around building the asset to build the image to make that your, your delivery mechanism. And realistically, there's everything in between. There are good reasons for any kind of spot in between one end of this and the other to, to make a decision. And you know, I, I kind of spent a significant amount of time thinking about how to word these because I don't want to I don't want to skew your view of this. There's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad here. It's what you decide to do to solve your problem. And whether you're on the no bake side, you can still be flexible. You can still have lots of flexibility, and you get that through building a library of user data or configuration management scripts. I have libraries of Chef cookbooks and Ansible roles and playbooks that do just this that we've designed them so that they run after boot, they're, they're pulled in on, at runtime, and they just run and make things work. Nothing wrong with that. You look at fully baking them, I'm doing the same thing. I'm managing a library of something. That library of something is just a library of images. And there are certain techniques and, and ways that we've built to ensure that we can identify those through the API in Amazon, uh, specifically around how we name these images and how we, we build tags and descriptions around them. But essentially, if you want a flexible approach, you can get that here. Either way, however you approach this. You, know, you also look at it and you say, well, okay, it's, it's about speed. Well, sort of. It's also about cost. So think about an auto-scaling group. And let's say I have uh, you know, an auto-scaling group of, of 10, and I'm going to cycle instances through that every once in a while. Now, every time I cycle an instance through, if I'm in a no-bake scenario, I'm going to pay for the install. I'm going to pay for the, the bandwidth, the time, for that to go from zero to operational every time. Now, if I bake that in, I'm going to pay for it once, but then I'm also going to pay for the, the cost of the snapshot. Now, we're talking about really small amounts of cost if you're efficient in building your images. We're talking about small volumes. But again, this stuff adds up if you, you, you kind of are at high scale and turning lots of instances, or you have a massive library of, uh, of AMIs. Anybody have either one of those problems? I mean, I know for a long time I had a, a huge uh, problem with sprawl of my AMIs and trying to deal with, you know, a couple hundred, couple thousand of the same application because we hooked it up to our CI pipeline and they just kept churning. Is that about right? Okay. So maintaining different geographies as well. That's um, non-trivial, right? Not, not easy. Um, so, you know, at the same time, again, your, your goals from an engineering perspective, do you want them to be consistent left to right? And we can get into a whole religious argument, and I, I actually pulled it out of the deck, um, about whether you build in parallel or you copy, image, you copy your image from one place to many. Now, um, if anyone's familiar with how Linux packages work and Linux package repositories work, you're not always guaranteed that the package you get here in the States or here where, or wherever you live is exactly the same as the local package you know, in Europe, in Asia, in South America. Maybe that's okay. But if you wanted to build your images faster, you'd build them in parallel because, as you'll see in a few minutes, copying them is not the fastest. But if you need binary consistency left to right in every, uh, every environment, every region you deploy to, you can do that. You just have to make a choice. So as we go through this, what I want to really kind of 
hit here is that it's not about building images, it's about being intentional about how you design them. And that's every piece of software, I know that. But what we've done is take that approach into a place where, you know, we're going back to this graph saying, I need to balance this for you. And, you know, I don't do it with many clients, but sometimes I'll even take this graph and say, where on this do you really want to be? How much do you want to spend on engineering? How much effort and time and headspace do you want to spend on engineering? How valuable is it to you to, to be launching quickly? Or do you just want it to run? Does it matter if it takes five, 10 minutes or 30 seconds? And there are cases where the answer is we don't care. You know, if, if I'm just going to put up some, you know, I would say less important legacy or kind of dev level system, it probably doesn't matter. But if I've got an auto scaling group with active load on it, and we've triggered an alarm, and I need to build more capacity quickly, the difference between 30 seconds and a minute or two could cost a lot of money for an e-commerce uh, e or a retail organization. Um, and that's really where that decision gets made, not, not because of any purity of, of technology approach uh, that I would have or that, that we try to have with our customers. So here's the pattern. It's, it's pretty straightforward. This isn't going to look surprising. But what does it really take to do this? We've blocked it into you know, five major chunks. Um, and, you know, I, I'll do my best to stay on patterns and not talk about tools, but Packer is a bit unique. I'm a big fan of HashiCorp tools, and Packer just brings this all together very nicely. But we're leveraging a number of open source tools throughout here. You know, we want to take the base AMI that, AM, that AWS provides us, whether that's a base AMI community or otherwise, um, we want to start with something. Uh, you can technically build chroot images in Linux and bring your own image from Windows into the environment. That's kind of painful. Um, and there's no real advantage in, in, in our world with the number of clients, the number of environments, the number of instances we launch. We don't see a huge advantage for us to do that. Um, very rarely will I actually have a real excuse, and maybe it's, you know, high-performance render farms for video. I've seen that. that. That's definitely an area where super custom images are useful. So this tool set isn't really designed for that. This tool set's designed for the majority of compute cases. And what you'll find out later is if, if you're in that world and you feel passionately about it, we'd love to have you pull requests edits in so that we can do that too. Um, so kind of moving on from we start with an image to we're going to block out two separate concerns in configuration management just intentionally for the sake of it to make sure that we keep ourselves honest. And we're going to start with OS configuration and that's everything except for, you know, application. So what packages, what base configuration am I adding? You know, things like, you know, NTP lists, uh, server lists, and, you know, if you're going to bake in certain, uh, you know, static configurations for yourself, you're going to drop a key in there. Lots of options here, but there's a specific area where when we build our requirements for these images, we talk about OS and then application installation and the difference between the two of them. We're usually going to use the same tool either way. Um, because it's all configuration management for the most part, but we're going to be really intentional about blocking out those two concerns. How many of you guys test your images before you capture them? One guy. Two guys? couple? Yeah. This is one that is hard to do, um, and it's not necessarily the first thing most people think of. But most of the configuration management tools also come with some great testing tools that sort of mimic unit testing uh, to some degree. I'm not going to call it unit testing. But it mimics that workflow and allows you to introspect what's in that image and actually validate this is running, this is what's going on. So when I capture it, it's, it's valid and it's, it's a known state. 
Now what's really cool about this is when you're doing things like update patching on a regular basis, if your tests are written properly, all you do is rerun your image. You don't have to change the code. You've got your, your update statement or your update process in there. And you test and validate that it behaves the way it should. And you should be able to you know, roll images and updates very, very simply, very easily, so long as you've got your testing in line. And I know anywhere from, from the software world into this world, testing and consistency in testing are things that we all struggle with. So our goal is to make it sort of top of mind whenever we put it into place and we, we hand someone a repository to say, go build your image from here. And you know, from our end, it's actually helped. Um, we don't write tests for people yet. It'd be kind of cool if we could. But to date, you know, when we started introducing the idea of adding that, that test directory with server spec uh, and in spec in it, people actually started using it. I mean, you know, our mentality is let's make it easy to do the right thing and make it as easy as, easy as possible. So we put it in front of them. And I'll be done. They started using it. Uh, so by forcing that, we then kind of go to the last step. Once it's tested, we capture the image, which is where Packer comes into play. And you know, for the most part, this shouldn't be surprising. There, there aren't a whole lot of steps here at a pattern level that fall outside of you know, what I've seen you know, over you know, a number of clients, over a number of situations, and a number of environments. depends on what your target is. So the, the question is, it, does testing it just mean, just give you the assurance that you're closer to where you want to be versus it being actually what you want it to be? Yeah, I mean, once I've captured the image, then I go and test it and it works, then I know that image is good. If I've tested before I captured the image, then there's still So there are, there are a few real specific cases. And anyone doing Windows images? Anyone? Sysprep is the, the awesome story there that decides to change things under the hood like the, the security identifier in Windows. Um, one thing that we're thinking about, and I'll be really honest with you guys, we're still developing this. We're still finding problems and solving them. We're doing pre-flight tests primarily because we do a lot of Linux. On the Windows side, we are currently manually executing these automated tests by relaunching an image, validating it, and just shutting it down. And that might be something that we put in next. I mean, it is a real valid concern, uh, especially in that Windows world. Um, Red Hat's another one where licensing can get a little wonky. Yeah. No, it's, it's a good point. Um, not trying to solve everything all the time uh, as of today. But you know, if it helps you and it, it, it gets you to a point where you're able to kind of move faster and it's useful. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to do it on both sides, doesn't it? I agree. I mean, the, the statement, you know, just for everyone is that if it's, an, if it's automated pre-capture versus post-capture, it's, you know, it's a holistic problem. You should be testing on both sides. And the software discipline guy in me would say, you're absolutely right. And I probably ignored that. Just being honest. So again, let's, let's just kind of cover this really quickly. Our tool set's intending to solve a specific problem. I'm trying to give you the context of where we're solving things and why, because at the end of the day, we're going to let it go and see what you guys come up with, and we want you guys to participate. So we want feedback. We want you guys to be involved. If it's helpful, cool. If it's not, please tell us, because we'd love to make it more useful. It, it helps us, and, it, and, and my opinion is, if, as you guys think through it, it helps you as well. Pull requests for technical issues are very welcome. Um, I put a couple in today. 
um, little itty bitty you know, bug fixes as well. I was getting the demo back together. Uh, and you know, on the design level, we're working on getting our design docs into a place where we can do PRs against that as well. So it's all on GitHub. Uh, the links are at the back of the deck. Um, it's pretty straightforward. It's github.com slash datapipe. Uh, and there are a couple of repos in there that you'll see here in a few minutes. But um, if you want to participate, if you want to play around with this or try it out, please don't hesitate to check it out. Let us know what you think. Um, very much want to know what's going on and, how, and what you guys think. So this is the primary set of tools that we're using to start. Um, again, we're in a what I would call the 0 0.1 phase of our release. Um, you know, we're focused on using a lot of open source to not have to write my own config management tool. Um, I don't think that I add anything to the world by writing another config management tool. Um, but I do think that it's interesting when you can bring this all together in an opinionated fashion and get some really interesting output from it that's consistent. So Chef, Puppet, uh, you know, we've had requests even internally uh, to, to cover Ansible. Um, as much as I hate to say it, we've got PowerShell and Bash as well. You know, you can just write scripts and have it, have it build your image. And sometimes that's just fine. Uh, it's perfectly acceptable so long as you are managing configuration and not just running scripts. Very different things. Um, and you know, from my perspective, you're talking about not just doing app get install, it's app get install with versions, validating that it's installed, writing tests against it. And, and we're working on making it easier to do that, but in the script world, it's a little less stitched together, put it that way. Um, but it's something we're working on. You know, kind of looking at this from a software uh, integration perspective, you know, we're very focused on, you know, applying this into our pipeline. So we want to be able to take this, iterate on it, and then use it to automatically generate images long term. You know, the source code side of it, source control side of it, we're generating everything through Yeoman. And Yeoman, again, if any of you know the tool, it is a Node.js tool. It is not just for Node.js. Um, I'm not a, a JavaScript fan at all. Uh, at the same time, I've become a big fan of this tool because it's an amazing templating engine with a lot of uh, capability in terms of dynamic requests and dynamic process. And we'll see that in a few minutes. But for me, using Yeoman was our foray uh, into how do we start asking you the right questions instead of just giving you a blanket template uh, and say, you know, fill out this checklist. Well, that's not really appropriate when you go from Chef to Puppet to Ansible. They're different words, they're different names, there's different idiomatic patterns. And it's a better idea for us to be respectful of those patterns uh, in the native tools we're using than to confuse our users. And I've, you know, 450, 500 uh, operations engineers in my organization, and they're going to come banging down the door if I confuse them on something like this because they're just going to have to, uh, I'm going to tell them something like, well, just figure it out. And it's not really fair to them. So we picked this primarily because we know that, you know, our customers internally needed something that was responsive and respectful of the tools that they're using. Um, you know, Chef and Puppet, first set of uh, tools we've integrated uh, in terms of configuration management. Um, again, we've got some capability around Bash and PowerShell. Uh, Ansible's on the list. I've heard a couple of people ask for SaltStack. Again, I don't, I'm just being really honest with you guys. I don't care what tool we're using. I care that we're following the pattern and implementing the discipline of configuration management. But I do want to put it through a continuous integration process that allows me to validate and test. The other really cool thing about this is I'm going to run this Yeoman template process and hand you a repository. That repository is essentially just a normal module for one of these tool sets that's just geared and pointed at building a single image. 
So I still go through the same dev process that I would for a standard chef, uh, standard chef cookbook or an Ansible role or a puppet module. I'm still doing the same stuff. It's its own uh, repository. It could go to the supermarket. It could go to our private repository. It's still its own asset. These are really focused on building a specific image. So I still can pull in modules and build generic tools outside of that in the normal workflow that I would for any one of these tools. So we're trying not to constrain or make it, you know, absolutely uh, unique to integrate sort of that normal workflow that you would have in any one of those tools that you're familiar with. Um, you know, talking about testing, uh, Test Kitchen, Kitchen CI, uh, originally came out of the Chef uh, kind of world. It's a first-class citizen in the, the Chef DK tool set. Uh, I believe there's a Puppet plugin, and Ansible is either maturing or coming soon. But essentially, Kitchen CI is a way locally where I can just start running and testing and validating rapidly. Whether I use Vagrant to do that or I run it against uh, a cloud instance in AWS, I can actually run from the command line locally and rapidly, work through my dev workflow, change something, run it again, see if it works, reconverge it, re-roll it, rerun it until it's perfect before I actually put it into the, the Packer workflow. So this is just a great sort of dev level convenience uh, and an operations level convenience that we found to be useful. Use it or don't. We still rely heavily on server spec to, to actually get to the testing of those images. But this is the, the harness that I mean I personally use and most of my team has used uh, to build these out. And you know, kind of going on a couple hundred at this point in the last few months, it's a, it's a good tool set. It, it, it's solid. It actually does what it says it does. And it, it actually makes our lives faster. It makes our work faster and our lives easier. You know, Packer, obviously, we've talked a bit about that. And, and Jenkins is our primary CI tool right now. We're also looking at supporting uh, drone CI, if you're familiar with that. I've got um, you know, a lot of interest in that model of continuous integration tool. It's much more like Travis, where your build script sits in your repository. Uh, I know you can do that with Jenkins as well, but kind of the, the primary pattern in drone is very much that you know, YAML file in, in the root of your repo to build your, uh, your tool set. And it builds everything in Docker. So we'll be publishing our Docker images as well for what we build inside of. So what does it look like? We'll talk through the workflow really quick, and I'll just show it to you in a moment. Um, but you know, we're going to start. It's a command line tool today. We have aspirations to bring it into a web interface fairly quickly. Uh, it's a Node.js module. We can take that, you know, yank it into a, a web interface, and run the questionnaire via HTTP or HTML, and you know, generate this out the back end and put it straight into into GitHub for you as it sits today. But here, we're going to start and ask you what you want to name the thing. And you give it a name, either at the command line or otherwise, it'll prompt you for it. And then you need to tell us about it. So what is this thing? Is it for Windows? Is it for Linux? Is it, is it to uh, work on a specific problem, a specific department, a specific client? Next, we're going to go into configuration management. You're going to pick the tool that you're going to use. We're going to ask you a bunch of questions about what you need to know about that. Uh, you know, are you going to pull in uh, specific external uh, modules? We're, Actually, that's in a pull request right now where we're going to be able to ask you kind of recursively, hey, do you want to pull in this module, that module? Do you want to pull this from the supermarket? Where are you going to pull them from? Is it Puppet Forge? Is it private? Next, we're going to go into you know, the CI workflow. We're going to ask you which tool do you want to use? And this is, we'll call it loosely in progress. It's waiting to be reviewed. But we'll dump your, uh, your build scripts in your, uh, your root directory. And if you want to, and you give us an API key, We'll go create the build job for you too. 
either externally in a Jenkins instance or through drone by calling the drone API and, and telling it to start listening for a drone YAML file. From there, you know, again, you want to put this in AWS, so we're going to ask you a lot of things about AWS. Obviously, there are a number of permutations, a number of values, a number of questions we're going to have. And what's where Yeoman and this whole process really shines is that I don't have to ask questions that I don't need the answer to. You know, if you guys decide you want to use the default VPC, I don't need to ask you about the subnet. I don't need to know what region, or I don't need to know what availability zone you want it in. I just need to know you want it in the default VPC. And if you just want it, you know, vanilla put there, built and torn down in kind of a standard fashion, the list of questions is fairly short that you actually have to answer. Now, if you want to answer more questions, if you want to make it more detailed and have more stringent requirements, you certainly can put those in. But we follow the Packer Amazon EBS build process, and for those things that you need, we ask for. If you decide you don't need them, we don't. And it's faster to get there. You know, finally, we'll initialize that repo, and again, if you want us to, we'll shove it somewhere. We'll actually upload it to GitHub for you, or GitHub Enterprise. We're looking at drone for build, we're looking at GitLab as well for a second option. So whatever source control you're using, it's, you know, we've designed this in a pluggable fashion so that you can actually put this automatically somewhere on someone's behalf. So, you know, you've got a lot of people in our organization who are coming from a traditional operations background. Not all of them are 100% familiar or comfortable with using GitHub. Um, anybody else have that problem? Maybe? No? I guess I'm unique. Um, you know, the, at the end of the day, I go back to, you know, what I kind of, I guess, harp on with my team is that we want to make it easy to do the right thing. And the easier we make it to put it in source control, the easier it is for them to get, get used to it, to play with it, to go use the GitHub GUI instead of maybe the command line to start. And it gets them familiar with it to the point where they start using it and actually not just using it, but using it properly. And that feeds into our long-term strategy where we want to be able to put this all into CI and have a strategy around branch and merge that says everything we put into master goes live and goes into production. You know, we're a little ways off from that. We need to build the building blocks first, but that's where we started. So this is what it looks like. Um, super awesome guy with a, with a hat here. Um, you know, the, the command line interface, you, you run Yo Bakery. Uh, you either can specify a name at the command line as the third parameter, or as the second argument, I guess, or it'll ask you, so what's the name of your image? What are you going to name this thing? Um, it's arbitrary. All right, so let's talk about your project. What do you want to do with it? it where, where's it going to go? Is it, source con is it going to go into source control, yes or no? And which type of source control? Is it GitHub? Is it GitHub Enterprise? Um, is it GitLab? I mean, Maybe you're, you're really stuck on Mercurial or SVN, and those are just easier for you. That's cool, too. It's built such that if you want to plug something else in, it's a fairly simple process to get that done. What about configuration management? So if you're familiar with how config management tools are normally kind of structured and the kinds of things that go into both their metadata or sort of structural information or their readme files, they'll ask for a license. So we ask you for a license. It could be you know, any one of a number of things. It's a list that you can choose from. Uh, pick which tool you want, and then put your name and information in. You know, obviously, these are great descriptions, and those are awesome URLs. But you know, for demo purposes, the idea here is that we're just trying to get through and show you these are the kind of just the bare minimum sets of things that, you can, uh, that you're going to be prompted for when you use this thing. So do we create the CI scripts, yes or no? Jenkins or drone? It's yeah, you know, it's just the next page in the process. 
And this is where things get interesting. And where, it, again, this, this tool set really starts to shine. Do you want to create an Amazon image? Yes. Cool. What do you want to call it? We'll default this to the, the name of your project with a timestamp after it. And that kind of double brace with timestamp uh, in between is the Packer uh, standard syntax for getting that timestamp variable out of the Packer runtime. All right, so we've got a name now. Give it a description. We default that, uh, I believe, either to empty or to the short description that you gave us earlier. And, you know, up for debate as to which one's the right one. So love some feedback on that one. Uh, and then what regions do you want to put this in? You know, we're going to give you a list. You're going to get to select them. Tell me where you want to put it. And then which one do you want to actually build in? Where's your primary region? And we'll, we'll see some really cool stuff here in a moment. Um, on the instance type for build, we actually constrain this really heavily. There's a huge list of instance types. And we've figured out, for the most part, that T2, M4, C4s, that's pretty much the biggest that you need to build an image. Now, I'm not going to run a, a full workload on that. But for me to build the image and, and kind of validate that it, it is what it's supposed to be, you know, those, that subset of, of image types or instance types is sufficient for us. Is it a Windows-based image? If you know about Chef or Puppet, you know how Packer works. Um, this flag, we actually do some fun stuff behind the scenes um, as we're going here. And we flip this around so that we ask you for the AMI first. We go out to the AWS API if you have your creds in place. We look at it, we ask it if it's a Windows instance, and we'll default this for you. We still ask, just in case. Um, but for Packer and Chef and Ansible, the install scripts change, Windows to, to Linux. So this is a flag to help us make sure that the tooling you've selected installs properly. Do you want to share it with any, anybody, any groups? Do you want to use a specific IAM uh, instance profile? Do you want to put it in a specific VPC, which would then ask, ask you more questions beyond that if you didn't? And you know, again, the really, really interesting part about this, the thing that makes this worth all of the heartache of JavaScript and headache of having to manage software to do this is right here where when we go and prompt a user to ask them, where do you want to put this? It's a command line, essentially, checkbox interface. You toggle through it, you hit spacebar, and you're able to get you know, a, a subset or all of them very easily. And then what's even cooler, I guess from my perspective, because I'm, I'm used to kind of old, dumb templates, but when I go and ask you where you want to build it, it uses the list of ones that I selected instead of just saying, well, I know what all the regions are, so pick a region. But no, it actually it knows what regions you've already pre-selected. So at that point, it's only going to give you what you're working in. So, sure. Embarrassingly, right now, they're static. I'll just tell you the truth. Um, on my list of issues that are growing, um, and, and I'll show you the, the kind of list as, we, as it sits today, being able to pull more and more of this information dynamically is, is top of my list. Um, the Windows flag is one. But when you start talking about um, you know, certain flags that you would set in, like I'm going to play with Chef here, so in the metadata uh, RB file about what OS it supports. Is it Debian? Is it Ubuntu? Is it Windows? We can get a lot of that from the AWS API, because we can look at the AMI that you've given me. I'm already validating that it exists. So now I can look at it and say, well, what type of OS is it? Can I know enough about it to start pre-populating other pieces of that 
uh, downstream a little bit more. And it's definitely kind of top of mind, but uh, you know, from our perspective right now, it's changing slowly enough that if I need to push another package, we will, at least for today. But I would much rather be there, for sure. So just a quick, simple walkthrough. I'm going to cheat like every demo uh, goes. I'm going to go like every person running a demo and just say I'm going to cheat and show you a simple demo and then show you one that actually matters. Um, so here we're going to, you know, I've already got the, the tool set installed. It is on NPM. Um, I think we're at version 0 0.15. Um, and again, it's publicly available. You guys can try it out today. Um, you install Yeoman, then you go install Generator Bakery, uh, and you're off to the races. So let me, let me kind of just show you what this looks like in, uh, in the real world here. So very briefly, if you go to yeoman.io, that's the, the tool set itself. There's Bakery, that's my name, and there's our project. So it's already listed in their uh, tool set and on NPM as well. Totally public, totally available, ready for you guys to, to you know, beat it up and give us feedback. So if I go back to the command line here, and again, I'm cheating a lot here. Here's the command, yo bakery, I'm going to call this project reinvent image dev simple, just because we need something complicated to put in GitHub. So there's our guy, top hat and all. And what you're going to notice here is that I've got a lot of things pre-selected. One of the things we've done in the code is that we've implemented Yeoman's built-in config tool. And what that allows us to do is persist the answers that you give it time and time again. And we actually shove that in the Rudy repository so that when you go back to it and wonder, well, when did I generate this? And what answers did I give it? And did I make a mistake? You can go back and see what actually is the genesis of your project and figure out how you fix that or not. Um, so we're going to use Chef Zero here. Pretty straightforward. I'm a big fan of the ISC license structure, pre-selected because, again, we're cheating. My name's already pre-populated. I've got my email. Add a short description. This is a basic golden image setup for Ubuntu 16.04. Give it a longer description. Again, this is one of those things in the config management side of, of the house. Both Chef and Puppet equally um, have this concept of short and long description, so we ask for both of them. Now, issue URL, I know where it's going to go, so I've got a repo set up for it, and I, I prepended the, the URLs. Now, interestingly, uh, how many of you guys know Puppet, or are fans of Puppet, or know that tool set well? So if you were paying really close attention, you'd notice that there's a missing URL here, that if I was using Puppet, I would have asked you for a project URL. Because you're using Chef, we don't. Again, it's one of those things where it, it sounds like a dumb detail, and it sounds like the, the, the minute kind of convenience of not confusing people, but it really does make a difference um, in terms of what we've heard from our, our users. We'll give it an initial version, um, you know, semantic versioning structure, and we'll get into source control setup. I'm not going to put this into source control automatically. Um, I don't want my demo to crash and burn. Uh, I also am going to throw it up there myself. So um, I know it's going to GitHub, but we're going to skip that and continuous integration since we're just kind of statically demoing here. I'm not going to worry about that today. So do I want to create an Amazon image? Yep. Well, how about a name? And again, this, de this defaults from, um, first from that, that uh, kind of config file that I've got set. If that wasn't set in the config file, it would take the name of my project plus the timestamp. So we've got a description. And again, this is the cool part where you can sit here and scroll through this and select you know, one or more of the, the regions that you may want to, want to go into. 
I'm going to keep this really simple. I'm just going to say we're going to go into all the U.S. regions as of now. Um, but actually, no, because the, the earlier screenshots that I showed you showed those four. So let me pick um, EU West 1 and U.S. West 1 and 2, just so you, you know I'm not lying to you here. What we've got is this has now taken that list that I've selected, given, you, given it back to you in terms of the question of which one do you actually want to build the image in first. We are currently supporting the build then copy workflow, not a parallel build process. And, and again, kind of as I alluded to earlier, a little bit of a religious topic, but at the end of the day, you can use both. We, we simply haven't built out that parallel build workflow as of yet. So I'm going to pick US West 2. Um, if US West 2 is on the list, we actually do default to that one. It's you know a decent uh, region. It's fairly inexpensive. And um, you know I live on the West Coast, so it works for me. You know, come back to this instance type for build. Again, T2s, M4s, C4s, pick whatever you want, but that's, that's what we give you right now. And back to the what are we pulling dynamically and what are we pulling act or what are we putting in statically? This is also a static uh, pull, but uh, could easily be made dynamic eventually. Um, and what you'll see here is we've actually started to make steps into leveraging the Node.js framework for, um, uh, for AWS. Because I've got my AMI prepended here, and since my credentials are already in my normal credential path for the uh, SDK, it uses those credentials, runs out to the API, and says, does it exist? Because the worst thing in the world is when you've, you've gone through all this work and it fails because you fat-fingered a number or you put the wrong ID in. And here we're trying to do as much as we can to start that process to say, you know, maybe there are some things in here we can validate and double check and work on your behalf to make sure you don't have to worry about, or at least make sure that when we pull the trigger on building this thing, it's valid. Is it a Windows image? It went out and checked. It found that it was Ubuntu. It defaults to no, but I could override this if I want to. We've had some significant debates as to whether that's useful or not. I'm going to put this in the default VPC. There's you know, we'll, we'll get into actually running this in a moment, but you know, we've um, run the whole thing now. It's now generating my um, my repo. It's going out to Berkshelf to grab all of the referenced cookbooks, um, or it's going out to the supermarket via Berkshelf. And what I have um, is a fully baked, fully set up set of uh, files in an idiomatic pattern for Chef. This is based off of the the kitchen and it kind of base repository that they generate. You get that, you get a couple of extra files to, to build it and run it, and you get a Packer script to go generate it as well. So let's see how well this goes. Um, take that um, build bash script, and look at that, demo fail. Um, again, still working some of the niceties of this out. If I look at what this looks like in my editor, I'm going to bet you that you know, as we're as we're going back and forth on this, our um, build scripts are still in flux, so this is just in the wrong order. Fix that. Yeah. This is why we don't make changes last minute. Um, so you have to believe me on this one. Um, but what I, what I want to show you at the end of the day is that as this goes through, you end up with a build that as of 20 minutes before I started this talk, I could go in, hit, you know, I could chmod my um, executable to make it work. I could run build, and it would just dump out all of my uh, my AMIs that way. Um, 
clearly we have an issue we got to deal with. So let's get into a more real-world example. Um, really directly, this you know this example, uh, full transparency, it was dead simple. It had nothing in it. It was just going to run. So that's cool. And there were some tests in there that probably would have failed. Um, this one specifically would have just said, is there a root user? You know, does it work? Well, let's talk about something that's a little bit more realistic. And, and kind of to get into that, I want to tell you a little bit about another project that I, I own. We announced um, a, a new product that we're offering uh, very shortly that we've uh, put into beta, um, or at least we've announced a beta uh, for January of this year, or next year. And uh, it's based on Kubernetes. I'm not talking about Docker Kubernetes here. We're not going to play that game. What I want to show you is that we have a uh, we had a core problem in our world related to how we manage the base image for our Kubernetes cluster. And natively, Kubernetes and kubedeploy has this ugly YAML-based kind of scripty solution that's packed into their their command line tooling, and it's it's ugly. Um, it's not testable, and it, it it isn't consistent. And as of fairly recently, the community image was really only being published into one or two regions. So we solved that. And what we did was we took that basic set of scripts and we dumped it into some fairly decently complicated uh, recipes that do everything from install the proper packages, get Docker up and running, remove DKMS, you know, dump the current kernel and install a custom one. Then it goes back and validates all that and captures it and gets it ready for our use in our kind of global test clusters. With that, we then start it in one region and we copy it to all of them. So you know, the, the net result for me is this page here where you know, started this build. I swear it works. It really does. I started this right before we, uh, uh, we started. And it takes somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes to go through the whole process on uh, Debbie and Jesse. But you know, I now have a handful of images, what, 10 images, 11 images worldwide that are binarily exactly the same. And every time I launch it in any region, anywhere I go, I'm going to expect the same exact result and the same exact experience for that version in that region. And to kind of demonstrate that out very quickly, if I go into, you know, the console, let's hope I'm still logged in here. And we're still working on a couple of things here, but let's look at this. Here's uh, K8S Debian base 72145111.12. So that's the wrong ID for Debian Jesse. Um, 145 is the version of Kubernetes we're deploying, and 111.2 is the version of Docker we're using. So we're, we're shoving the IDs and the, the, the numbers we use, or the, the versions we use for the core software we're using, into the name so that when we go back and look at our library and we use the AMI you know, API, the API for describe images, and that name and a couple of tags to describe and, and fill out our library, uh, kind of a li list of things in our library. We use those to identify everything, and that timestamp tells us when it was built. Um, we've tried throwing get IDs, tags, or SHAs in there as well. It gets pretty lengthy, but as a kind of a separate tag on the image, it, it can be pretty useful to be able to take a, a get, uh, get SHA, shove it into the search, and you get your image very quickly. So with this structure, I've got this here in, uh, where am I? I'm in Oregon. So let me, let me actually get the one that I just built a few minutes ago. So FB88, FB88. All right, and here's the AMI name right there. 
So one of the fun things about this is that I can just flip into another region, let it load here. And where are we? Did I not copy to Sao Paulo? That would be awesome. There we go. There's my image in Tokyo. Again, same ID, same, same exact image, bit for bit, byte for byte. But now I have a, a strongly kind of versioned identifier that I can work with it across all regions. I'm able to actually go deploy all of my software consistently left to right, and I'm able to test it, which was my big gripe with you know the original build image uh, process for um, you know the community Debian image for KDS uh, deploy. So we use this stuff to solve dumb problems like that every day, even just for ourselves, where it's not sufficient just to deploy things and trust a. Not that I don't trust community um, images, but I want to know what's in there. I want to know it's tested. I want to know it's about. I know. I, I want to know I can validate it. And this is a fairly straightforward process. I tell you that even with distractions, this week. I wrote this repo with the entire uh, build process for it in about three, four hours. You know, end to end, tests included, validating it, and, and trying it out uh, multiple times against multiple regions for the heck of it. So again, the, the goal of this project isn't to say, hey, you two can now go build Kubernetes images in the cloud. You can. But the point of this is that we're trying to make it as easy as possible to follow a consistent process to make it easy for you to deploy consistently. And this is what we've come up with. You know, big picture, obviously there's a lot of dynamic calls that we have uh, available to us via the API. Node's cool because they've got a lot of different packages that do a lot of different things. So when it comes to GitHub, when it comes to pushing into source control, when it comes to even doing simple formatting of your code on your behalf and running that pre-commit, post-commit, there's a lot of cool convenience we can add to make our world more consistent but we're just working it out still. I mean, I'd be honest with you in telling you that our issues list on GitHub is really where we put all of that today and would love your feedback, love your input, uh, and would love to, to have you check it out, um, even to try it. So here are the, the URLs again. This deck will go up somewhere very shortly. Um, and uh, our, our repo, Yeoman's repo, just if you want to get to know that tool set, um, the KES Debian base, uh, kind of more complex solution that I just showed you. And I will put the simple one, once I'm able to get it running again, into that DP image dev simple um, uh, repository. You just go to github.com slash datapipe. It'll all be right there. Um, again, just want to thank you guys for your time. Uh, I know you guys have a lot of cool stuff to go check out. Appreciate you coming here. Uh, would love your feedback. If you're curious, you want to talk about it, you want to tell me this is all terrible, or you want to tell me you love it, um, I'll be here for a little bit. Um, I'm going to be in our booth for the majority of the afternoon uh, at the Data Pipe booth out in the Expo Hall. Otherwise, I uh, just want to thank you for your time. Um, grateful to be able to throw this out there in the open source community, and I hope you guys have a great day. Don't forget to fill out your evaluations. Thanks, guys.